0: Father, we need you. That's not a religious phrase we say. That is just the absolute honest truth. We need you. Our world needs you. Our community, we are so broken, Father. You have to restore what the enemy would want to take. You have to restore husbands and wives and fathers and children. You'd have to restore... um, and bring about racial reconciliation. You'd have to restore an honor, a respect, a dignity that we would live with as people, as image bearers of God. You'd have to do that, God, if it's going to be done and we're asking to do it. Do it in us. Or would you speak to us as we come to your word and we trust that you are doing more than we can even ask or think or imagine and we praise you for that. I'm excited for what you're going to do today. You're incredible and I can't wait to see you work. I'm thankful for what I've already seen and I pray all of these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people say, amen, amen. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Be ready to turn them to Ephesians 2. I know our text says Romans 6. We're gonna be looking at several different passages of scripture. Um, I started teaching and preaching uh, when I was about 20 years old. It was was really a cool thing that God began to do in my life and when I was, uh, I think, right at 20 years old, I was at a church in South Texas uh, preaching a church conference. It was a really awesome thing. It was scheduled to be from a Saturday to a Wednesday and God just showed up and we kept meeting every night and we, they kept me through. I had to keep delaying my return plane ticket. Just God was doing amazing things in the life of that church. And I ended up staying like 10 days instead of the four or five, uh, just preaching and see what God was doing in, um, in the lives of those people. Well, there's a young guy, he was about 14 or 15. Um, he looked like a full grown adult. He was just a big guy who God stirred his heart and he wanted to give his life to Jesus Christ. So he was saved uh, during that time and he wanted to be baptized as part of his expression of dependence on Jesus Christ. And so the pastor who was a first-time pastor, and you gotta beware of first-time pastors. These these guys, you never know what they're gonna do. But this, I'm I'm a first-time pastor. Uh, Anyhow, I've just been here for a while. Long story short, the pastor was going to to baptize him and he was nervous because the guy was so big. Even though he was 14 or 15 years old, the guy was so much bigger than the pastor. The pastor was worried he wasn't gonna be able to bring him back up out of the water. So he was really nervous, like, how do I do this? And it just was, you know, what what kind of leverage, how much buoyancy is going to be there, all kinds of questions we think about while we're doing stuff like that. Anyhow, so it was after the service, and we were going to conclude with this young man's baptism. So everything was prepared. They were up in the baptistry, like, we have a baptistry behind me. And the pastor, that young man, came down. He told a little bit of his story, and the pastor baptized him. Now, this young man was pretty nervous. Uh, He was nervous to be in front of people, and he wasn't apparently a big fan of water either so then that was mingled in with the pastor's anxiety can I get the guy up you know that I don't don't know how this is going to work out well you could see the nerves the anxiety on both of their faces I was sitting on the front row and the pastor you know says in the name of the Father the Son the Holy Spirit I I baptize you my brother and he takes him down and 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 struggles to bring him up to say this he struggles and gets him up well there's a look of relief on this young man's face but there's a look of terror on the pastor's face I'm thinking, what's going on? Like, did he pull something on the way back up? I mean, was it an injury? Uh, And he says this, guys, I'm so sorry. I'm going to have to do that again. And we're like, what? Like, how bad was this kid? No, we're like, "What, what are you talking about that you've got to do this again? Well, then he says, I've got to do it again. And the kid, he was already scared in the first place. He looks at the pastor like, what are you talking about, man? I just endured that. He takes him all the way down. Later on, I found out the pastor didn't get his nose and chin under the water. And he said, I don't know if it counts. So I wanted to do it again just to make sure. All right, so here's the reason why I tell that story. It's not because I want you to sit the whole thing and think, did that count? Would that count? Because the guy was saying, hey, we don't bury people with their noses sticking out of the ground. I mean, how would we do this? I I believe it counted. We're not going to go into all the reasons for that. The whole reason that I share that story is because for most of us or for many of us, for a lot of us, there's at least a little confusion about what the Bible teaches concerning baptism. And, and this uh, coming month, in August, we're going to do something that we do every summer. We're going to have an ocean baptism service where we're going to go down to Cocoa Beach and we're going to be out in the middle of uh, of the ocean of God's creation and there are going to be people who will be baptized in that day and we're going to gather around them on a public beach and we're going to watch them be baptized. I'm inviting this morning, I want some of you to be thinking, is God calling me to be baptized? Because I know there are so many people in this room um, that I believe God is calling to de- declare their faith in Jesus through baptism. I want you to be considering that as, as I'm talking this morning. But, but as pastors, we were looking at that ocean baptism And as we've been talking with individuals throughout the year uh, and throughout the years, here's one of the things that we've seen is there is a broad understanding or a, a broad spectrum of understanding in our church family about what baptism is and why it matters. And we felt before we have that ocean baptism, it would be good for us as a church family to just look at what the Bible actually teaches concerning baptism so we can be on the same page namely the page of Bible truth and so this morning it's going to be a little bit of a different message normally I would take one text and just walk through that and teach each part of the text to our lives I'm going to look at the topic a little bit more of baptism this morning and we're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4 and here's how we're going to start I want to start by telling you I said Ephesians 4 right Totally wrong, totally wrong. There's nothing there for us. This one, no. Ephesians two, Ephesians two. Uh, the reason why we're going to start Ephesians two is I want to just really briefly explain to you or share with you what baptism isn't. What baptism isn't. Sometimes we really need to learn. Uh, from the negative. For instance, many of you have had small children, you know that your your children need to learn from the negative. Here's what I mean by that. One of the things we first did with our kids when we were teaching them different things is we would teach them animal sounds and then we would point to the picture of an animal on the page and they would match the sound to the animal. Anybody ever do that with a kid or a grandkid? Grab a kid sometime, it's fun. None of you guys did that. That's a fun little, do that with your grown kids. They'll have a blast. No. Here's the deal, though. Early on for a lot of kids, one of the things that happens is they learn, say, what a cow is. They learn what a cow is, but they don't know what a cow isn't. So every time they see anything with a head and four legs, you point to the picture and they say moo, right? Because they see what a cow is, they don't know what a cow isn't. You've got to teach not only what something is, but you've got to teach what it isn't. And so this morning we're going to start with what baptism isn't. And here's here's the first point. Baptism is not what makes us right with God. Do you hear that? Baptism is not what makes us right with God. Did you hear me say that? So, for, so here's the deal. So someone says, hey, when you get to the end of your life and you stand before God, what would you offer up? Imagine you're offering up something and God, God, I don't believe this is how it's gonna happen, but just pretend that God's gonna say, why would I let you into heaven? And you would say, because I was baptized when I was whatever, that is not what will make you right with God. Baptism does not make you right with God. And when I ask a lot of people about their relationship with God, many of them say, I I went down the Nile when I was a certain age, and I was baptized when I was a certain age. And while those things may have been significant in your life, they are not the things that will make you right with God. So I wanna make sure we're all clear on this. Baptism does not make us right with God. Look at Ephesians chapter two, and let's read verses eight and nine quickly. For by grace, grace is the the unmerited, the unearned kindness and favor. For by grace, a gift, you have been saved. Saved from what? Saved from the penalty of our sin. All of us have sinned and our penalty for sin is that God as a good and righteous, just judge will punish all sin. And so the the payment for our sin is eternal death and separation from God. We need to be saved from that. Salvation also includes being saved from the power of sin. We'll get back to that in a few minutes. But saved from the power of sin. That power of sin and brokenness has to be broken in us. And one day we need to be saved from the very presence of sin, temptation, and the brokenness around us. And God through grace, kind, gift, Offers us salvation. We're saved from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin by grace through what's that word? Faith. Believing, depending. Believing depending on who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. When he died on the cross for our sin, he paid the penalty for our sin. When he rose again from the dead, he proved his power over death, hell, and the grave and also gives to us his resurrection life if we believe him. So belief, dependence, faith, by grace through faith. Now look at this next phrase. And this is not your own doing. Is it your own doing? No. Some of you aren't convinced of that. Is it your own doing? No. No it's not your doing. It is the what? Gift of God, not a result of, look at that next word, works. Which works? Any works. It's not the result of any good work you do. Any good thing you offer up is not a basis for God to receive you into his family. The one work that that God offered up to receive you into his family is the work of Jesus Christ. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, not a result of works. Look at that, so no one would boast. So only boast in Jesus is what that's saying. So all we can say when we stand before God and he says, why on uh, in, in any reality would I allow you into my presence? And here's what we would say, Jesus, Hallelujah. Jesus Jesus lived the life I could live, a life of perfect obedience that was pleasing to you in every way. Jesus died the death I should have died. A death as a penalty for my sin. Jesus rose again and gave me his life. He gave his life for me so that he could live his life through me. And that's what I was trusting in, not my good works. So does baptism make us right with God? No, no. It doesn't make us right with God. Uh, Titus 3.5, listen to this. I go to Titus 3.5 because it's the greatest book in the entire Bible. If you're visiting here, my name's Titus. It's good to meet you. Wrote a little book here. You're going to want to read. No, it's Titus 3.5. I'm named after this dude. Titus 3.5, God says this. He, God, saved us from all that I just talked about. Not because of works, which works. Any works that we did in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. God saves us because He's merciful, not because we're good, not because we do anything. By the washing of, of water in a baptismal pool. Does it say that? No. By the washing of regeneration. Regeneration is new life that comes through Jesus and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. That means He's Master. He's the one who owns me, and he's the one who has the right to tell me what to do. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And if that confession isn't just lip service, just something you say, but if it comes from your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. So from faith, confession is made. It says this, you'll be saved. Saved from what? Everything we just talked about. Penalty, power, presence of sin. Verse 10, for with the heart you believe and are justified. That that means that you're declared not guilty, that you're released from the penalty of your crimes. You're justified. And with the mouth, one confesses that belief to salvation. It is saved. Does baptism make us right with God? No. Okay, so, we need to know that thoroughly. Baptism does not make us right with God. Baptism is not the thing that makes us right with God. Here's the second thing, though, and this is the other extreme. So, you've got one group of people who'd say, It's all in baptism. All my eggs are in my baptism. And there's a thing called baptismal regeneration. It's a Christian, so called Christian doctrine that says you have to be baptized in order to be saved. That's not Bible, that, that's wrong, that's heresy. That will, that will lead you to eternal separation from God. Okay, that's one extreme. Then you have another extreme over here that says I'm thoroughly convinced it is no good work that I do that makes me right with God. I'm so thoroughly convinced of that. Baptism is not the thing that makes me right with God that they respond this way. Then baptism doesn't matter, all right? So baptism is not what makes us right with God. That's one extreme you could fall into, but here's the other extreme. Baptism is not an empty religious ritual. You hear that? Baptism isn't just some, some empty religious ritual. It would be wrong for us to understand that we're not made right with God through baptism. It would be wrong for us to understand that and then say, then that means baptism doesn't matter. That that is the furthest thing from the truth. And that is not something you will, any of you find in the New Testament scriptures. In the New Testament, what you find is that thousands and thousands and thousands of people came to believe that Jesus is the Christ and their only way to be made right with God. And do you know what? Every single one of them that we find uh, declare their, their, their faith in Jesus through the act of baptism. There's only one exception to that that we can even find. You guys know who that is? Thief on the cross, the the man who died next to Jesus. Uh, he wasn't able to be baptized, and he was saved. Salvation doesn't make him right, but he's this exception that stands. Now we see over and over and over again. So, for instance, on the, the day when the church is empowered by the Spirit at Pentecost, Peter preaches, he proclaims the message of Jesus. This is three thousand were saved that day, and you know how many who were baptized that day? All of them. All of them. You find it's normative in the New Testament that someone who comes to faith in Jesus Christ expresses that through baptism. It's a big deal. There's a powerful dynamic that is at work within baptism when someone understands the truth of what baptism really is. And so that's what I want us to go through. I want us to see this is not an empty religious ritual and here's why baptism matters. Here's what baptism is. And I know some of you struggle to keep up sometimes with the notes. These notes will be available on the internet, hope God willing, tomorrow. I'll clean them up a little bit um, and take out all the jokes that weren't funny and then I'll, I'll put them right there on the internet for you, okay? Um, so here's, here's the first thing that baptism is and I'm just gonna give you two positive statements about baptism. First, baptism is an expression of faith and obedience to Jesus. See, that? It's, a, it's an expression of, of faith and obedience to Jesus. Matthew 28, Matthew 28. Um, You guys can turn there, it'll be up on the screen, but Matthew 28, Jesus is giving the instructions to his followers right before he returns to heaven. And this is called the Great Commission. It's the mission of Jesus over his people from the moment he gave it till the moment he comes back again and brings everything to an appropriate end. And here's what Jesus says, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore, here's the great command, make disciples of all nations. Here's the modifier. Here's how it is we're making disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus commands his followers to make disciples, to make followers of him. And within that command, he says, okay, Okay. And here's what you do. If you're going to obey the command to make disciples, you have to obey this command as well. You baptize people. And here's what you need to know He's not saying you baptize them against their will. You guys, you guys know that? We're not called to sneak up behind people at the beach and take them down under the water, right? Woohoo! I baptized 23 people yesterday and they didn't even see it coming. It was awesome. That's not what he's saying. Obviously, within the command to baptize people is the command for people to be baptized. As a matter of fact, there's a guy who was standing there hearing Jesus say this. His name was Peter. And Peter hears Jesus say, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Just a few days later, he stands in front of thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem. He tells these individuals where Jesus had just been crucified and was raised to new life. He tells these individuals, listen, I want to tell you about this Jesus. Jesus who was crucified. I want to tell you what he has done for you. And the people cry out after they hear about the life, death, the resurrection of Jesus, they cry out, "What should we do?" And Peter responds in Acts 2, "You need to repent turn away from your self-centered sinfulness. Turn away by turning to Jesus in faith and dependence. Recognize he's your savior. He says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you, this is a quote, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. How many of them should be baptized? Every single one of them. If, if there's repentance in your heart, there should be baptism in your life. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. He says you should repent. Which means change your heart, turn away from sin, turn to Jesus, away from something to something. Turn to Jesus as your Lord and your Savior and away from a destructive lifestyle that's that's displeasing to God. That's the link then between Peter's command to repent and be baptized and what we read in Romans saying confess Jesus as your Lord. It's the confession, Jesus has the right to tell me what to do. Jesus is the one who's in charge of my life. That word Lord means the one who's in charge by virtue of possession. The one who's in charge by virtue of possession. When you say Jesus is Lord, you're saying Jesus owns me. I'm his. So I repent to Jesus as Lord. You, you've got my life, Jesus all of it. You've got the right to tell me what to do and and how to live it and to make that happen to me. So confessing Jesus means saying, Jesus, you own me. I belong to you. And the outward expression of that inward belief, that outward expression is obedience. When we believe Jesus is Lord, has the right to tell us what to do. When we really believe it, you know what we do? What he tells us to do. Does that make sense? If that doesn't make sense, I can't say it any simpler. When when we say Jesus has the right to tell me what to do and we believe that he has the right to tell me what to do, you know what we do? We do what Jesus says to do, right? So the outward expression of that belief of Jesus as Lord is obedience. And what did Jesus command that we should do? We should be baptized as the expression of our faith in Jesus. And so following after Jesus is, is is something that occurs through faith in our our hearts our our dependence on Christ but it's expressed outwardly through obedience and the first act of obedience for most of us in this room should have been a public declaration Jesus is Lord and baptism is that baptism is this declaration Jesus is my Lord I am obeying Jesus why am I being baptized because Jesus told me to and he's, he's my Lord. He has the right to tell me what to do. And we could go into why it would be baptism, but Christ chose baptism as a public declaration of our, of our obedience to Jesus and our faith in him. In Matthew 10, 32, Jesus says, listen, if you will acknowledge me before men, I also will acknowledge you before my Father who's in heaven. And whoever denies me before men, I'll also deny before my Father is who is in heaven. We acknowledge Jesus in so many different ways, so many different ways in our life. And I would want to, I just want to ask you, not, not whether you've been baptized or not, but does your life acknowledge that Jesus is your Lord? Does your life acknowledge, are there observers to your life who would say, I think that guy takes his cues from Jesus. I think she takes her cues from Jesus this is one of the the super cool things at that ocean baptism. We go down to the beach, we don't reserve it and fence it off, we just show up. And we show up and there are all kinds of people around. It's the closest that that I feel like we get to that first century atmosphere because there are there are people it, all over the beach and they didn't come with us. They're just there and we go down by the edge of the water and there's a big group of people and and we'll we'll either sing songs or we'll give testimonies. We'll, We'll have this group of people around and we go down into the water and there's this huge crowd and there are people down there and of course they see a huge crowd gathered there by the edge of the water and they're wondering is there a shark? That's what they do so they come over and we're like no it's not a shark but let me tell you what's going on here and we get to say to people every year who come by and wonder what's going on we get to say, listen, we're a community of people who are following Jesus and we're not ashamed to say that we're following Jesus and we're, we're, we're obeying Jesus. Jesus told us to do this and we're saying Jesus does this. We're declaring our obedience to Jesus and baptism is the expression of our faith and our dependence, our obedience to Jesus. And listen, that's one of the reasons why we don't baptize children, infants, Small children. Infant baptism does not declare the faith of the child being baptized, even if it declares the faith of the parents being baptized. Infant baptism doesn't declare the obedience of an infant's heart to Jesus. And so we don't baptize children for multiple reasons, but a primary reason is an infant of that age is not capable, a a two or three or four or five month old or one or two year old is not capable of expressing or acknowledging faith and obedience to Jesus Christ. It doesn't save them, we already saw that, and they aren't expressing anything personally other than the fact that often they cry, which indicates they don't like it. (laughs) But but seriously, it's not a personal expression of faith in the life of infants. And so we don't baptize infants because baptism is a personal expression of faith and obedience in Jesus. All right, next thing. So we saw that the second thing is this. Baptism is a picture. Now listen to this. Baptism is a picture of what happens when we trust in Jesus. So it's saying I'm trusting in Jesus, but it's also a built-in picture of what happens when we actually trust in Jesus. Let me just give you a lesson here. Go to Romans chapter six. We're gonna look at this for just a few moments. Um, The word baptize, the English word baptize is not actually an English word. Um, It's a Greek word that was adopted into the English language. And so when English Bibles were being translated, they were so familiar with the term baptize, the Greek word baptize, Tizo, um, that they actually just changed it a little bit and made it into an English word. They adopted it in the English language. The translation of baptize, the, the actual meaning of the word is to immerse or to dip, to plunge. So, for instance, in classic Greek literature, the word baptize is used to describe a sunken ship. Alright, so here you know, here's just a little picture. Ships don't sink every time it rains. So that's why we don't sprinkle. Ships sink when they're under the water because the word means immerse plunge to dip into and it's extremely important not just because of the mode of our baptism but because of the meaning baptism is a picture of something that happens when you personally trust in Jesus to save you look at Romans 6 when you see the word immerse or baptize think immerse plunged into totally engulfed by verse 1 of chapter 6 what shall we say then are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, let me just catch you up. What Paul has been saying is he's explaining that the, the goodness, the righteousness that Jesus gives us through his death is greater than our sin. So who's stronger, you or Jesus? Jesus, right? Who, what's stronger, Jesus' death or your sin? Jesus' death than any sin. And some of you struggle to believe that. You struggle to believe that Jesus could really forgive you for some of the things you've said, some of the things you've done. And what all of Romans is telling us to this point is Jesus is just stronger than that. He's stronger than any sin and his righteousness is so far greater that he describes it as saying where sin is and even abounds, where there's a ton of it, he says grace abounds even more. The gift of Jesus abounds. It's it's so abundant in comparison to our sin. And here's what he realizes. When you say that, hey, that no matter how much you sin, Jesus has more grace than your sin. Paul knows someone's going to say, oh, well then should I just sin a whole lot to show how much grace Jesus has? That's why he's saying, should I sin that grace might abound? Verse two, by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? You hear that? How do we die to sin still live in it? And now he's telling us how he could say we died to sin. Look at verse three. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized, immersed into, what's that next phrase? Christ, Jesus, and his death. We're baptized into not water, but Jesus. Jesus. He says, do you know the spiritual reality it's not that you're immersed into water. When you come to faith in Jesus, you're actually immersed into Jesus. For some of you who are wondering, how could Jesus's death save me? Because there's a spiritual, a mysterious, something we can't fully comprehend, a union that takes place for everyone who trusts in Jesus and his life, death, and resurrection, confessing him as Lord. The Bible says we are immersed. We're placed into Jesus Christ in a reality that we can't even imagine. To the point that we are even united to his death in some way that i can't explain or understand even when we are trusting in jesus christ we were somehow present our sin was present at the cross of jesus sin had to come from somewhere right came from us not jesus When we trust in Christ, our sin is present at the death of Jesus to the point that it's, it's counted as though we have died. It says we were baptized into, immersed into Christ. We were actually immersed into his death. Verse four, we were therefore buried with him by immersion into not water, but into his death. We took part. Our sins could be forgiven because they were all punished when we were present with Christ or united to Christ and his death. In order, now look at this, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What happened after Jesus died? Here's some good news. Most of you apparently don't know. He rose again from the dead. (laughs) I, I am so glad to tell you all that this morning. I, I thought you'd have known, but Easter was a few months ago. Jesus died. You know, He rose again from the dead. And when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you are united to Jesus to the point that every single one of your sins has been nailed to the cross of Jesus Christ and have been punished and taken away, forgiven completely. Your sin did not just go somewhere ambiguously. Your sin was placed under the very wrath of God. When you And some of you feel this way shouldn't the other shoe fall sometime about now because of the sins I've committed? Here's what you need to know the other shoe did fall. At the cross of Jesus Christ, God punished your sin. Some of you walk around with this guilt complex saying, I know I did wrong and and I know wrong needs to be punished. I can't wait until God's just going to punish me somewhere out of the blue. It doesn't work that way when you're trusting in Jesus. Your sin's been punished. But when Jesus died and we were united with Him, Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose again to brand new life. Union with Christ enables you to live a brand new life. That's what I was talking about earlier—the transformational power of Jesus. The tra- and baptism. We're going to stop there with, with that text, but baptism is the picture of that, which is why we want to make sure that everyone who's baptized understands that message of the gospel. So we do baptize children and we baptize them when they're able to share in a small and not totally, entirely scholarly way, We expect new believers to be new and to not understand everything. We understand old believers don't understand everything. But we want to be able to articulate a knowledge of what Jesus has done for us. Not just past tense, but present and future. And I'm trusting in Jesus to save me today from the power of sin in my life. How are you fighting sin How are you fighting brokenness? How are you fighting against the patterns of relational friction in your marriage? How are you fighting against that? If you're not fighting through dependence on Jesus to give you new life, you will not live with victory. And baptism is the picture. I'm going to continue trusting in Jesus as the one who saves me in every way that I need to be saved. So baptism is not what makes us right with God. It is not an empty religious ritual. Baptism is an expression of faith and obedience to Jesus and a picture of what happens to us, what we believe with all our heart happens to us when we trust in Jesus Christ. And when I say picture, I know some of you, you, you you just, you're all over the map because there are all kinds of different pictures. You guys know all pictures are not created equal, right? You know that, right? Let me just show you a couple of things. I brought a couple of pictures and I know you love it once every two years that I bring a prop with me. Uh, let, me let me just show you this. I want to show you a couple of pictures and, and let me just show you a, a couple of pictures and they're pictures of two families, okay? Two families. So let me show you this picture. Here's the first family picture that I wanted to show you. Can you see these people? Go ahead and put it up on the screen. Isn't that a beautiful family? Uh, wait, look at that son. He, the son looked just like his dad. I mean, literally, spitting image. Uh, They're so beautiful that they have modeled for literally tens of thousands of public restroom signs. Like they are famous. That's a famous family. I mean, this is a, look at that. This is an all-American family right now. So this is a picture of a family, right? Pictures are important, okay? Um, but let me show you Another picture, okay? Check this one out. Hold on. Put that one. Yeah, yeah. Look, at, hey, see, you know what to do. Where's the applause sign? We need to get one installed because most of you missed the cue. Look at those kids. I mean, okay, so this was taken when I was going to be announced as senior pastor uh, of First Baptist Merritt Island. It was on the front porch. Notice the stucco motif. It was on the front porch. And because we're high class people, Emily and I, we had a step ladder that we put out on the porch and set the timer on our our camera and and took that picture for ourselves. And uh, look at that. That's beautiful. Now that's a, tell me now, that's a beautiful family, right? Look at that. Look at that. Look at that hottie that's a hottie let me just tell you something i crumbled up and threw over my shoulder the picture of the other family and i don't think that any of you were offended at that right if you came and crumpled up this picture of this family and threw it over your shoulder i don't know what happens when pastors get in a fight do they lose their job i don't know Is beating someone up a terminable offense for a... I don't know, I don't know. I just would do it. Ask questions later. Why? Because all pictures aren't created equal, right? They're not all created equal. And the the worth of the picture, the value of the picture is in correlation, in ratio to how special, how unique, how, how important the reality is that the picture's pointing to. And when we say that baptism is a picture... We don't mean that it's meaningless and to be cast aside. We mean that it is a picture of the most meaningful, most powerful, most wonderful thing in all of reality. And because it is that kind of picture, it's important that it's painted correctly. It's important that it accurately depicts what it's a picture of. That's why we do baptism by immersion. The word means that, but the picture necessitates that because we are buried into Christ and raised in his resurrection. It's important that someone understands that because it's the expression of their faith in that reality. And so when we say picture, we don't just mean the photo that came in the frame, right? We mean the one you replace that with of your family, that valuable picture of the most wonderful thing. And so here are three points of application as we close. First of all, some of you, some of you have never, you've never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're not born again. If you were to stand before God today, in all of reality, you would not have a sufficient answer for why it is that you could spend eternity with him. And here's what I would say. Some of you would say, but I've been baptized. I just don't. Here's the story. Don't trust in the picture. (laughs) Live in the reality. Are you trusting in Jesus personally? Some of you have trusted in Jesus and you're trusting in Christ, but you've never made that known publicly as an expression of your faith and obedience through baptism. And I believe with all my heart, Jesus is calling you to be baptized. And here's what I would encourage you to do don't delay that. Um, We're gonna have our pastors down front. We wanna talk with you about your salvation. We wanna talk to you about baptism. Some of you need to commit. Our, Our ocean baptism would be an awesome time for you to do that. And I wanna encourage you, if you've been thinking or praying about that, I wanna say, listen, don't delay on that. Come speak with one of our pastors and we'll get you connected with one of our counselors this morning so that you can get set up for that time of ocean baptism and you can declare what Jesus has called you to declare. And here's the last one. It would be pretty weird if I did dinner every night with that photo, you know? If I said, okay, if you do that every night, I hope I didn't offend you, but you kind of should see somebody about that. I don't go home and put the photo on the table and do life with the picture, It's precious as it is. I live with the real thing, and here's the deal. Some of us, some of us have stopped living in the reality that Jesus has provided for us, how are you fighting sin and brokenness? If it's not through dependence on Jesus and the new life that he gives, you'll never experience victory through him. And so today I'm asking that you would follow the call of Christ. If he's called you into salvation, if you've never placed your faith and trust, today's your day. If you never expressed that through baptism, Today, come and be a part of that act as an expression of your faith in Christ. And for all of you who'd say, I am trusting in Christ and I have been baptized, examine your life. Are you confronting the brokenness through faith in Jesus? Are you just trying really hard and failing an awful lot? Christ alone gives us a new life. That's the word of God for us today. Church, do you receive the word of God? I'm going to ask you to just join me in standing and let's enter into a a time of prayer and reflection. I want to pray for you. And and no matter what it is, whether it's being saved, whether it's uh, being baptized, whether it's a pattern of brokenness, whether it's just a heaviness in your life, um, before I pray, Uh, I would just ask, if you'd say, I I really, I need prayer about something in my life. Would you just raise your hand? Say, I need need prayer about something. All of those hands, here's what I want you to know. I don't hardly ever have people raise their hands. I want you to know, God sees your heart. I may have seen your hand, God sees your heart and he knows and he cares. And I'm gonna ask him to do a work in your life. Would you join me in praying? Father, I, I ask you, would you please, would you please do a deep work of grace in our lives. Father, would you allow us to see the reality of all that Christ has provided and to trust and depend in that? Father, would you enable our hearts to express our faith and obedience in Jesus in very practical ways, including but not limited to a baptism, Father. I pray for anyone here who does not know whether they are certain that they would be right with you and they would have eternal life and, and be forgiven of their sins. Father, I pray for that individual. Lord, don't allow us to leave with uncertainty about our souls and our relationship with you. And God, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters, those who are dealing and struggling with brokenness in their families and their jobs and their community, those who have heavy hearts, all those that raise their hand. God, would you bless us today with the knowledge of Christ and with the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we need you. And our prayer is the acknowledgement, Father, that we need you. We love you and we praise you and ask all these things in Jesus' name. And all of God's people say, amen.